Welcome to Private Club Radio, the industry's first and only program dedicated to education, news, events, trends and announcements. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. A big congratulations to Denny Willette for taking home the green jacket at the 2016 Masters. But for me, the big story was Louis Oosthuizen's shot at 16. He was practically playing billiards out there. If you missed it, have a listen to this. Sounded like clean contact, right? The ball's taking the slope. It's heading for the other ball, three feet from the pin. Hits the other ball. Unbelievable. Hits the other ball and goes in the hole. It was the third ace of the day, and that's why that tournament is called the Masters. And you're about to get a Masters education on Private Club Radio today. Today's episode is focused on the club manager and developing a skill set for success. My guest is Michael Crandall, an accomplished private club general manager, speaker, and author. During my chat with Michael, we discuss what has changed at clubs, especially in the way of expectations for the general manager, and we take a deep dive into what Michael calls the briefcase. It's a set of tools that every GM needs to have these days, and you're going to find out what's inside. That and more when we come back from these messages. Are you searching for members? Are you looking to drive revenue to every department of your club? With Course Driver, you can. Course Driver is a custom smartphone application designed specifically for your club. Visit CourseDriver.com to schedule your demo today. This episode of Private Club Radio Show is brought to you by Wildstyle Media, an award-winning media firm and a leader in high-end audio and video production. Wildstyle Media offers full-service media production, post-production, and creative solutions for your company or brand. Contact us today at wildstylemedia.net or call 813-358-6588 today. It's my pleasure to welcome Michael Crandall to the show. Michael is a national award-winning leader in the private club industry with 30-plus years' experience in creating and building exemplary management teams, including two Platinum Clubs of America, Thunderbird Country Club in Rancho Mirage, California, and Exmoor Country Club in Highland Park, Illinois. He's a published author. He's been published in Club Management Magazine, Boardroom Magazine, and he's the author of the book Life's 10-Point Must System. Michael's an accomplished speaker and has given presentations and keynotes at Professional Club Marketing Association's annual conference, Purdue University's School of Hospitality Management, and Northwestern's University Kellogg School of Management MBA conference. Michael and his wife, Kim, hail from Buckhead in Atlanta, Georgia. Michael, welcome to Private Club Radio. Thank you, Gabe, and it's my pleasure to be here, and I'm really excited about the opportunity to speak to you. It was great to meet you out in San Diego at the CMAA. How did you enjoy the conference? I thought it was over the top. I've been to uh, 17 annual conferences through CMAA, so I've been there, done that, if you will, and as far as education goes, I felt it was one of the better they've offered. 
Excellent. Yeah, I heard a lot of good things as we were discussing before we we went live here about millennials and that presentation I hear got a lot of rave reviews. It was off the charts. Uh, speaking of the 16, 17 conferences, I also go to every single education. I always have. A lot of guys look upon it as a vacation, if you will. I never have. I go to the education, always sit in the front row. And uh, I always feel like even if it's a bad presentation, you can learn how not to make one of those yourself. But, <laughs> right. Uh, a lot of this, <laughs> a lot of the education, this particular year, was there an OCO with the CMA, and it's Jeff Morgan, and he's brought a lot to the table. And I uh, wish him all encouragement, success in the world. Excellent. So let's get right into it. The private club industry's obviously been going through a lot of changes. They've been changing in many ways. In light of those changes, where do you see it headed now? Well, the the changes have been, uh, in fact, if it was a a younger type person were to say the things I'm about to say to you, you'd say, hey, you're taking pot shots at a generation or two (laughs) before you. That's not right. But I'm not taking Mm -hmm. pot shots at all. I'm just telling you the truth. The the truth is that the days of where your board of directors, which should uh, focus on policy, uh, the days where all your board of directors really had to do was just to occasionally make some very popular policy decisions. The days where your general manager, whatever title it may be, uh, uh, chief operating officer or just club manager, whatever it may be, the days where all they had to do on the operating level was to pluck some uh, low-hanging fruit now and then, both of those days are over. Uh, Your board of directors now are engaged, they're professionals, and above and beyond that, they expect someone who really knows how to run a business, who has a lot of business expertise, is able to make decisions and to lead, if you will. That's been the biggest change. The expectations of the board uh, reflect that of the membership, and uh, there's a new generation of uh, general managers who would darn well better step up the plate and be able to give them what they want. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. So you have something that you talk about I've seen on LinkedIn and some of the social media outlets out there that you talk about a briefcase. What's in your briefcase, Michael? <laughs> well, by by that I mean is that the, the things that uh, successful business people uh, a number of years ago had to have in a briefcase was to be engaging, get along with people well, which is vital important. You have to do those things. Uh, and um, that was a big thing of it. Now, you still have to have that, but in this day and age, your board is looking primarily, we want someone who knows how to run the business of our club. In many cases, you're looking at multi-million dollar operations with annual gross revenues, and you'd better know what you're doing. So instead of taking your briefcase, opening it up, and dumping it on the boardroom table, and what you used to have to get along okay was a good smile and knew the members by name, maybe their grandkids' name, and pat the kids on the head when they came in the dining room, you'd better open up your briefcase now and dump it out on the table and have seven things at least, not all exhaustive, but I'll point out with you seven things that the very most successful general managers in the country at the most highly esteemed clubs had darn well better have and do have in their briefcase, and and we can touch upon those. Okay, perfect. So we dumped this briefcase out on the boardroom table. What are we going to find? Well, what you're going to find in there, and I'll expound upon them a little bit uh, with your indulgence, but right off the top, I'll just tick them right off. And what they are is you'd better have a zero-based operating budget. You better have a capital reserve plan, a procedure for club meetings that matter, a master plan for the entire footprint of the property. You've got to have perspective. You've got to have the right people on the bus. And then you've got to have the seventh one that all ties it together, and that is solutions. 
All right, Michael, can you explain what a zero-based operating budget really is and why you feel that's so important? You bet I will. Um, a lot of folks think, well, gee, uh, at my club, we break even every year, and we have a budget that says break even. So I guess we have a zero-based operating budget, don't we? Of course not. They're, they're not even similar. A zero-based operating budget means that you start from scratch. Uh, you just don't take last year's results, if you will, and arbitrarily add to X amount of percentage or take away. Uh, that's been going on for, for many, many years. And, and let me give you the difference between a zero-based and traditional just adding on or taking away uh, percentages is. Let's say we're starting with a budget for discussion purposes. That was 20 years ago. And let's say that budget was accurate. It really was. Mm -hmm. The following year, well, uh, we hit our budget. Isn't that great? Management did a great job. The president would stand up at the annual meeting, give accolades, and by gosh, we hit our budget. And there'll be um, a very minor, but no dues increase at all, maybe. And then the next year's budget is created based upon the one you just finished, because obviously it was great, right? And right. so you'll add like uh, some 2.3 cost of living index or what have you. Or couldn't we do a little better here and take $1,000 off here and there? And the following budget is made. Then you go to the following annual meeting, and it's the same thing. We hit our budget, and you go through the same scenario. Then what do you do? Well, we take that budget because it's pretty good. Well, you do that same thing for 3, 4, 10, 20 years, if you will. After a while, your budget is meaningless because it's based upon nothing other than what happened the year before. And uh, zero-based is you're saying, we're going to throw it out the window. And uh, my analogy is a little bit like as a lot of us have seen the uh, program uh, Shark Tank where yep. people are coming up and they're saying, I need X amount of million dollars, and I want you to give that to me. And then Mr. Wonderful, uh, Kevin O'Leary, <laughs> he'll say, well, tell me something. What are you going to do with the money, and why do you need that much? Well, imagine, if you will, at a private club, your finance committee is uh, Mark Cuban and Kevin O'Leary mm -hmm. and all the mm -hmm. rest of them there. And you're going to them and you're saying, uh, okay, here's our operating budget for the coming year. We need X amount to fund it. And, and uh, Mr. Wonderful looks at you and he says, well, why do you need that? Prove it to me. Well, if, you, if you don't have a zero-based budget, you can't. Oh, you, you would look at him and say, well, Mr. O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, the reason we want that money is because, well, we spent just about that much last year before, and so I'm just looking for a little bit more. He'd look at you and he'd say, I'm out. With a zero-based budget, you start from zero. Forget what happened the last 20 years, if you will, and you start from zero as if you were going to go to venture capitalist, albeit your finance committee, if you will, and you're saying, this is what it's going to take to operate this business next year. Mr. Wonderful would look at you and he'd say, why? Prove it. <laughs> Zero-based right. means you've gone back as if you're starting from zero. And used as a food and beverage operation at the club, for instance. You're going to go back and you're going to say, okay, how many bus boys do we need on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday? What time are they going to report for work? Breakfast, lunch, dinner? Oh, by the way, um, in January, in February, and March... You're going to do the same thing with dishwashers. You're going to do the same thing with every cook, up to your chef. Everything you're going to put in there as if you were building a business from scratch. And then you're going to come out, and if Mr. Wonderful says, why do you need X amount of dollars, like to staff your food and beverage operation? And you're going to be able to say, well, I'll show you exactly, Mr. Wonderful. We're open these days, these many hours, at these rate of pays, and this is why we need it. Now, without a zero-based budget, and that's just an example, you're going to need to go through the whole operation and do that. And for those who are shaking their heads and go, oh, my gosh, do you realize how much work that would be? 
You bet I do. And that's what you're paid for. Your finance committee or the Shark Tank, your members deserve that type of expertise. They deserve it. And without Absolutely. It, and without it, what happens, Gabe, is you're going to have a committee chairman or your president will come to you and say, well, listen, can't you just take, take off? Can't you find uh, $20,000? Just, just take it off. And if you don't have zero base, you'd look defensive or non-cooperative uh, other than saying, well, I'll take care of that, sir. With a zero-based budget, you say, that's an interesting question, sir. Uh, where would you like me to do that? Do you want to cut out two-line cooks on such and such days, what have you? So zero-based operating budget is exceedingly important for this one major thing, and we'll wrap it up. Private clubs are notorious for creating a budget this way. Instead of building it from the ground up, as I just described, they will take a dues number, and they say, well, our dues are X amount, and we can't change that. We can't. And so they'll go to management and say, this is the dues level that you must hit. Then they'll say, oh, by the way, create an operating budget that backs in to that number. Well, uh, what happens then is that during the middle of the season, you either start cutting back services, you cutting back the days of operation, or that's not delivering what the members deserve and want. But if you create it from the bottom up, then you're saying, look, we're not going to start with our dues. We're going to do is we're going to start what it really takes to operate this business, and we will find out what our dues level needs to be. It's a vast, vast difference. Uh, and In my experience, the number one reason for unplanned general manager turnover, other than space alien abductions, if you will, or getting micromanaged, uh, well, I'm talking about strictly operations now, operating performance. Number one reason for unplanned general manager career moves is board-approved, unrealistic operating budgets and then holding mm. management accountable to hit the budget. Now, in absence of the zero-based, Gabe, you can go year after year after year after year. Basically, you're given a budget and said, hit the budget. And you manage to that budget, and everything is fine. But it's really not, because you've got a lot of baked-in inefficiencies there. They're layered upon layer year after year. So you need to have the discipline to create a zero-based operating budget. You don't have to do it every year, but at least every other year. And for those shaking their heads and going, my gosh, we have 325 line items in our chart of accounts in our club. You mean I have to do that for every single one? Ideally, yes. However, let's be realistic. Um, in the service business, which the club is, over half of your entire operating expenses is labor. So start there. Just go ahead and do a zero-based operating budget, starting with labor, and build from there, and then you'll quickly see the value of it. That's great advice, Michael. I think our federal government might be able to take some cues from this theory as well. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. (laughs) But uh, moving from club operations to capital, explain your next piece, what a capital reserve plan really is and why you feel that is important. Well, moving from operations, looking at a capital, um, and we're not talking here on a capital reserve plan, we're not talking about new projects, if you will, like uh, you've got a board member with an agenda, say you've got a dozen tennis courts, and they say, by gosh, well, I got on the board, we're going to have uh, 15 tennis courts. It's not building new projects. A capital reserve plan means you're just taking your existing assets and the entire footprint of the property. And your assets, by the way, are, are things like the, the roof on all your facilities, air handling units, every curb, every sidewalk, every piece of equipment in grounds and greens, every oven and deep fryer you have in the kitchen, your entire assets there. Well, you have professional people come in, 
and they'll do a life expectancy of every single one of those. They'll extend them out as for 20 years. Think, well, okay, how long is the thing going to last? Which items are under warranty? They identify them all across the board, and then they will assign to that a replacement cost, factoring in inflation, an emplacement cost. So what this does is you're, it's a great management tool. You're able to look at a piece of paper or mini, if you will, spreadsheets, and you're able to see five years down the road, for instance, it says we need to spend $180,000 replace the entire roof of the place. Mm-hmm. What this does, if you have that management tool, it precludes a board, a rogue board president or even a rogue general manager or a committee, a type A personnel at the club saying, by gosh, we are going to build those five more tennis courts or we're going to create a short game practice facility. We need that at our club. Whatever it may be, and they have these new capital projects that they want to leave their fingerprints on the club. What this does when you have a capital reserve plan, you're able to say, hey, wait a minute, hold the phone, hold the phone here. Uh, in three years, do you see we need to replace the roof for $180,000? How can we be going spending this money with new projects when basically we've got some things we have to do? A capital reserve plan, gave what it does, it gives you a management tool to fund depreciation, a very, very real cost. And back in the good old salad days when there were long lines to get into the club, initiation fees were higher every year. It might not have been all that important because those in the industry are well aware of the fact your initiation fees should ideally, the lion's share, if not all of it, go to fund for capital improvements and your dues, do operations. But if you have money coming in every year, year after year, and initiation fees with the recession is taken away, in absence of a capital reserve plan, what happens is clubs will start taking money that should be held in a fund that does not commingle with operations at all, and they will siphon that money off to prop up operations, thereby keeping dues low, and everybody's fine, everybody's happy, but there will be a day of reckoning where deferred maintenance will creep into your facility. I just put a ribbon around why you need a capital reserve plan. It needs to be done by an outside professional firm that specializes in doing just that. Uh, This is not a commercial, so I will not give you any names, but there's some very, very good firms out there. And make sure that uh, when you explore this, that you do involve and work with a firm that does nothing but private clubs. That's going to help you avoid the dreaded A word, I assume, right? (laughs) We don't want to mention that on this show. (laughs) We don't want to mention that bad word. and Those in the industry will know immediately we're talking about. But let's keep them all suspense and not actually say that word, all right? (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. You mentioned a procedure for club meetings that matter. Private clubs, by their very nature, require lots of meetings. Don't they all matter? What do you mean, Michael? <laughs> well, yeah, they should all matter. Uh, most anyone, any profession, uh, certainly clubs, is a, it's just an electron microscope of what we're going to say here about the importance of meetings, the numbers that you have. But in any industry, most people say, well, what's the number one thing you don't like about your career? And they'll say, oh, all these meetings. I hate meetings. Well, in the club industry, if you say you hate meetings, what you're basically saying is you hate your career. Because you're in a people business, and it does mean meetings. We don't have customers. We have members, which more times than not, that means they're shareholders. And you better believe there's going to be meetings. There's going to be committee meetings, board meetings, ad hoc committee meetings. So my, my point is that most people really don't hate meetings. What they do hate is meetings. They feel like they don't really matter, are a waste of their time. 
I had one point in my career years ago where I swore that I spent half of my time attending meetings. And the other half of my time, I swore, spent preparing for those meetings, of which at least half of them I did feel like were a waste of time and the meetings that didn't really matter. Yeah, we can put email into that into that bucket now, I think, as well. Yeah, you got, <laughs> which is probably you, the same. You got thing. emails, you know, that parachute into everybody's day. And in a club business, uh, between meetings and emails, you also hear a tap on the door and members stick their head in, hey, could I just chat with you just a minute? And before right. you know it, a whole day has gone by or number of days or a week, and you realize I've spent way too much time in my office. i got to get out and, and see more at the members. I've got to be at the first tee. I've got to walk out by the pool deck. I've got to shake hands as cars arrive, what have you. But unless you have some of these tools that we're describing, and we'll connect a lot of dots before we finish here, you will spend too much time in the office. Um, what I'm talking about a procedure for club meetings that matter is, is this. The meetings are going to be factual. They're going to exist. But I'll pick on a board meeting here rather than all the committees. What should happen, and those listening, please take out a pencil. What should happen is a week or so before every meeting, board members should get a personal call. Now, depending upon the size of your operation, ideally that should be from you yourself. But if you have to have an executive assistant do that or whoever works best for your leadership style, just make sure it happens that every board member gets a personal call. And this is how it's going to work. You're going to say, hey, uh, Mr. Johnson, I just want to remind you about the board meeting coming up next Friday. I want to check, are you available? Will you be attending that meeting? Well, you're going to get one or two answers, yes or no. If the answer happens to be no, in some cases you go, thank goodness this is good news because Johnson screws up every meeting we have. Uh, uh, On the other hand, if... If he says no, and you know there's some important things that really need to be brought to the board's attention, that this this person is a chairing a committee and therefore a board member as well, you might say something like this. Boy, Mr. Jones, I'm sorry you won't be able to make it. Would it be helpful to you? Uh, was there some things you'd like for me as general manager to bring to the board's attention during that meeting in your behalf? I'd be happy to do that for some things. Well, maybe yes. I'd really appreciate that, what have you. And if the answer is yes, make some notes of that. Uh, Or if you know that there's uh, some important things that need to be done, you can go like this. You say, you know what, let me prepare something for you, and I'll send it off to you and uh, see what you think, and then get it back to me if you agree, and I'll distribute it uh, over your name. Uh, And sometimes we wow, that's great. Now, what happens if the person, though, says, yes, I'm going to be at the meeting? This is what you do. You say, that's wonderful. What would you like to talk about at the meeting? And do you want to be on the agenda? Well, it's very mm. important to say, do you want to be on the agenda? Because just because someone's attending a meeting doesn't mean they should be on the agenda. Way too many clubs, they don't have an agenda at all, or they have one that never changes. And so why that if it never changes, what I mean by that is the agenda will look something like this. I'm being facetious, but it'll almost go through the alphabet. It'll say, like, okay. admissions committee, report of the banquet committee. Now it's time to hear from the catering committee. Now we're going to hear the delegation committee. Now we're going to have the efficiency committee. Now we're going to have the food committee. Now we're going to have the GM <laughs> committee. And you go right down through the alphabet are all your committees. And what happens then is people who attend the meeting, they don't have a report. They're called upon anyway. And even though they don't have a report, that didn't stop them from talking. Because if they don't, it's going to look like to the fellow board members that they're unprepared. And so before you know it, someone who wasn't really even on the agenda had nothing to report. 20 minutes later, you're scratching your head and say, how does this meeting get derailed? Well, that's just with one committee, one chairman, if you will. So you say, will you be at the meeting? Yes or no? The answer is no. We talked about how to handle that. The answer is yes. Do you want to be on the agenda? Then you say, what do you want to talk about? 
what items do you want on the agenda? You put those down. Now, here's the kicker. You say, how many minutes do you want allocated for your report on the agenda? And now, those minutes are actually printed on the agenda itself. So if it were to say, for instance, a Grounds and Greens Committee, it's going to say, Grounds and Greens Committee, report by Chairman Johnson, 12 minutes. Be specific. Don't just say 5, 10, 20, 30. 12 minutes or 7, whatever it is. After you get your whole agenda down, you're then going to go to the club president and say, this is the people that would want to be in the agenda. This is what they want to talk about. This is how long they say they need. You're going to work with the president to finalize it all. He may say, you know what? We're not having Johnson talk about that. I'll call him. Okay, fine. Work it out. But the end, end result of this is you start having an agenda that means things. They matter. The only people that are on the agenda are those who are prepared to present something to the board for recommendation, as opposed to having, and managers around the country will start nodding up and down. Instead of having a board meeting not be a board meeting at all, it's just one giant committee meeting one after the other. Now it's time for the House Committee. So all board members reach under the table and they pull up a chef's hat. And 15, 20, 30 minutes ad nauseum, they act like chefs. Then they put that underneath and they pull out, you know, a, a construction helmet. And now it's the Construction Committee. And before you know it, meetings last an hour and a half, two hours, three hours, four hours. Then you add to it that they probably have them in the evenings and they're having thought-provoking libations while these meetings <laughs> are going on. So the meetings need to be matter. Management needs to take control of them. Uh, one of my sayings is that uh, you cannot control the board. Anyone who thinks they can or even desires to, they're kidding themselves and should be looking for another profession. So even though you can't control them, you can professionally guide and influence them. And this is a way that you can do it. Uh, if you've got a club president who's weak, just not a strong leader. This is one thing you can do to help them be a better leader because you're going to create meetings that matter, agendas that matter. He's going to be dialed in, and you're going to see the whole thing progress a lot better. Excellent advice, Michael. Excellent. Let's talk about what you've called a master plan and why you feel that's so important. A master plan, uh, what it does is it, it precludes, uh, again, rogue uh, board members, uh, even GMs, from coming up with cockamamie ideas on what you're going to do uh, for the property. Now, a master plan is not to be confused with strategic planning here, although they're closely related. Strategic planning is a different subject, but it's something you definitely need to have as well. But a master plan is saying, okay... We're looking at our whole footprint, everything that we're going to do here, and it kind of tells you, okay, what are we going to do? When are we going to do it? How much it's going to cost? Who is going to do it? And why we should be doing it at all? Now, if you don't spend the time to answer those questions, instead what happens is it's, it's essentially without a master plan is you're taking whoever has the, the greatest type A personality, the most vocal type popularity following in the club, and without a master plan, basically you're giving the board the keys to the family car and you're told them to well, just head out and get your motor running and start looking for adventure on the highway, but there's no roadmap. Well, your master planning is a guide guardrails, if you will, to say, these are things we're looking forward to. This is what's going to cost. This is who's going to do it. And and um, you, you need to make sure that you have something like that in line. Otherwise, every board meeting, you're going to come up with new ideas and what have you. And uh, it, it, without a master plan, it's like, um, it's like telling a torpedo, uh, I want you to go out and sink a ship. Or you're telling a pigeon, uh, go out and deliver this to somebody named Fred. Uh, but you right. need to be more specific. 
You need to be very, very specific of what you're going to do. And your master planning needs to be approved by the board. It becomes policy. Can it be revised? Of course. But you have some guardrails on what we're going to do. And this applies to the clubhouse, the golf course, your aquatic, your fitness, wellness center, tennis, everything within the footprint of your club. You need to have a master plan adopted by the board. And, and that is the guardrails that keeps you on track. All right, so we've dumped down our briefcase on top of the boardroom table. We found insights on operating budgets, capital planning, club meetings, master planning. What is this thing called perspective? Well, perspective means you're having a broad picture. You're going to pull away. A lot of times at clubs, you get so involved with it, uh, uh, members and, and management as well, that you're looking too close. You need to really pull back and uh, look at the big picture of things uh, because every manager has heard over the course of their careers uh, quite often, by the way, uh, you'll be discussing an issue and one board member will suddenly say, well, wait a minute, what are other clubs doing? Uh, what's this place down the street doing? Uh, what, what's, what are other clubs that are similar to ours? What are they doing? And unless you have perspective, you really can't answer that because what happens is without perspective is decisions are made based upon emotions and gut feelings rather than hard data and, and facts. Well, there's a, a firm, again, I'm not doing commercial, but the best one is called Club Benchmarking, and you can contact them. And they come up with, with marvelous tools that uh, answer questions like, well, what type of salary ranges are for key positions at club? Depending upon your annual gross revenues, uh, what is the number of uh, staffing levels that you have at the club? Based upon number of the golf holes you have, how many acres you have, um, what is really the cost that are accepted as best practices uh, kind of between the goalposts, if you will, that it really takes to operate that type of stuff. Without the perspective that I'm describing here, um, you just have you just no benchmarking, if you will, and it's really like uh, just operating in a vacuum. Now, I don't want to take away from the fact, by the way, and I'm a big subscriber of this, is that board members will often ask, understandably so, and we as, as general managers around the country, they'd like to know what other clubs are doing as well. That doesn't take away from the fact that at the end of the day, what's really important is not comparing your club to other clubs but just being the very best that you can be and what your members want you to be. Uh, I was doing some consulting in uh, Louisiana for a number of months, by the way, uh, just, jeez, uh, 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 real time, just right before the convention uh, or the conference in San Diego. And uh, I came up with the mission statement them, and I think it could apply to any of them. Their mission statement is uh, what you want to do with this club. We want to be, quote, our members' very favorite place to be. And what that means is everyone doesn't want to be Augusta. You don't want to be Pebble Beach. You don't want to be Cherokee. You don't want to be this or that. What you want to do is have your club be the very best that it can be, that your members want it to be. But that doesn't change the fact you need to know what's going on around the country, around your region, with similar-minded clubs. And then, uh, So you need perspective or benchmarking, if you will. I love that. You know, it's it's great when you're marketing or you're trying to get more business, then you want to put people in an emotional mindset, but it's not actually any way to run a business. <laughs> so yeah, you think? perfect advice there. So we're starting to connect a lot of these dots. How about what you've referred to as having the right people on the bus? Uh, by that, I'm talking about is, is uh, I believe in any business. As a matter of fact, not just the business, but whether it's a church, if it's a non-profit organization, or a thriving for-profit enterprise, the only asset you really have, and by asset in this case, contrary to the capital reserve plan, by asset in this case, I mean 
it doesn't matter um, how many stories the roof is above your your high rise building, or if you're just working out of your your office at home. It doesn't matter um, how many sconces you have or chandeliers. It doesn't matter if you have 18 holes, 27, or 180 holes. What really matters is the only asset you really have is people. Period. And that again applies to churches. It applies to your own family. That's your only real asset that you have. Um, I've learned this about you can have the right people on your team bus, if you will. I was doing consulting a while back in Connecticut, and I sat down across my desk here, and it was a number of years ago, so I had my yellow legal pad as opposed to my iPad these days. And I sat down there, and, I, and uh, this person began to tell me how wonderful they were. Told me that, oh, well, they had the organizational charts and showed that this didn't exist before I came here and I organized this place. Then he showed me position descriptions. Look at this. We've got the position descriptions. We have standard operation procedures here. I have a formal performance review for all the employees. And it's ticking off all these things that you should have. You know, yeah, okay. Went on about 45 minutes and finally I started waving like a third base coach. And I said, wait a minute, hold on here. I said, I'm convinced you're great. I mean, you've got all these things that, that uh, boy, yeah, you brought a lot to this, this club. But I, I just have one question for you then. And he says, yes. Well, up to this point, he was very verbose and loud and, and waving and hand gestures when he's talking, basically telling me how great he was. So I said, my question is this. I'm convinced that you're real strong, okay? I'm, I'm convinced. So let's take that as a given. Here's my question for you. Why am I here? Well, great, great question. <laughs> suddenly, he had everything going for him to listen to him. He had all these things, the organizational charts, standard operating procedures, annual reviews, and on and on that he brought to the operation. But he was having real trouble. And I said, I'm convinced you're great. Tell me, why am I here? Well, suddenly his voice lowered. It was no longer verbose. Not like he's uh, kind of giving me an insider stock tip. Now he leaned over and said, just about in a whisper, dead serious. He says, oh, this. Yeah, uh, Michael, uh, I, I am real strong. I, I do know what I'm doing. My problem is I've just got bad people. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> well, suddenly I knew why I was there. <laughs> it, may be, it may be true that he or any of us around the country may have bad people, if you will. That may be true. But I can tell you a fact. If that, if that is your problem, the fact is you're a very bad manager, period, period. Right. Um, mm-hmm. All the problems, when I was brought in for consulting, I did it for five years and nine months, a, a stretch, a number of years ago. So it wasn't between jobs. I did it for almost six full years. And I did work for Anheuser-Busch. Um, at the time, the largest department store in Chicago was Carson Perry Scott. I worked for them and, and a lot of others. Well, mostly hotel, Hotel Nico's. And, but anyway, I, w- I would go into the property. I would interview quickly all the key department heads, um, the the, the, the movers and shakers, and then I would come back, uh, a three-ring binder back then. And I didn't have PowerPoint then. I had overhead transparencies. And I would come in and uh, present to the board or the management executive committee my findings and recommendations. And they'd say, gee, I just can't imagine. Michael, how are you able to come in here such short? I mean, how are you able to identify these problems? You're right. How are you able to do that? Well, this was the answer, and I would tell them. I'd say, you know what? You brought me in here because you told me you had, like, account receivable problems. You told me that you had inventory problems. You had material handling problems. And fill in the blanks, blah, 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 blah. But I know when I came in here from the get-go before I even arrived, you have none of those problems. None. I familiarized yourself, myself, with your financials, your balance sheet, your history, and all that. So I come in hitting the ground knowing the numbers and what have you. But I know you don't have any of those problems. How do I know that? Because you have 
people problems. That's what it all comes down to, period. There's people problems. For those of you thinking, well, that sounds too simplistic. You should see the problems I got in my place. That sounds too so simplistic. Let me ask you this. Take all those problems you think have at your club or your operation. As if by magic, just for discussion purpose, you had a magic wand. And as if by magic, you had all the right people in the right places, highly motivated and energized and excited about what they were doing. What would happen to all those so-called problems that you had? Well, the answer is they'd go away. Why? All problems are people problems. Every single one of them. You have cash flow problems, guess what? It's a people problem. Uh, you fill in the blank, it comes down to that. It is imperative you have the right people on your team bus. Without question, there, there is no other greater asset than having the right people. You can't hedge on that. You can't cut back on it. And, and therefore, your, your highest objective in working at a club or any business is you make sure you identify talent, real talent, that has a passion for what they do, you put them in the right places, the right seat in the bus, if you will. Motivate them, encourage them, call the herd whenever it's necessary. That's key. But then you've got to ask yourself, okay, the right people are on the bus. Uh-huh, yeah, right. Who's driving the bus? Well, the general manager, chief operating officer, should be the one that's driving the bus. And just like that guy in Connecticut, he was complaining that he had bad people. He was driving the bus. So That's right. <laughs> he, was dri- he, he was driving the bus. So make no mistake whatsoever about it that uh, you can have all the other things we talked about so far in your briefcase. You can have those things, a capital reserve plan. You can have a master plan. You can have a zero operating budget. But if you don't have the right people on your team, they're all meaningless. So that's paramount. Number one, you've got to have the right people on your bus. So I have a question for you related to that. If you're a general manager, what is the one question, if you're conducting an interview, that you could ask a prospective employee or team member, what would be that one question where you could kind of find out what you've got in front of you? In the private club business, we're in the people business, without question. So I've interviewed people over the years, and they seem to know they're doing great in the interview. They know all the technical answers really cold. Again, whether it's uh, you know delegation skills or F&B skills or agronomy skills, uh, accounting, they, they, they're really spot on. But since we're in the people business, um, I've had some great interviews where I will hit them out from out of left field all of a sudden and answer your question, Gabe, this is it. This is the question I'll ask them. I'll say, tell me, out of the blue, uh, what's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you? I like that one. Uh, well, <laughs> what's happened is, on one hand, I don't care what their answer is. I really don't. Well, on the other hand, I guess I do. But what I'm looking for is, is this a real person I'm talking right here? Is this a real right. person? I want to see them start gesturing with their hands. I want to see that smile slowly come to their face when they remember that one thing or two things where they just can't stop themselves by going, oh, my gosh, you won't believe. And over the years, I've had a couple answers. One person looked at me. He was doing fantastic up in the interview. He was doing great. Was, he was well on his way to a second one. But he stopped cold when I asked him that. And he says, you know what? Uh, nothing very funny has ever happened to me. Oh, boy. <laughs> I said, well, try this one on for size. Get the heck out of here. <laughs> get, that's pretty funny. I bet that get, was the funniest thing that happened to you one all time, day. One time a, 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 a female, she looked at me, and she started to smile. She says, you know what? A lot of very funny things have happened in my life, but I'm not telling you any of them. 
I wanted to hire that person immediately just so I could find out what they were. You know? <laughs> Cliffhanger. I knew, I knew I had a live one. I knew I had someone that, that was a real person. And so I'm not looking just for technical skills. The answer to your question is, Gabe, what's the one thing is you want to find out. Now, I happen to say what's the funniest thing ever happened to you. For you listening out there, take your own management leadership style, but come up with something that helps you identify, is this a real person? Or is there someone who's just scripted and had good outplacement training and knows the right answer? We're looking for a real person. So there's one more piece of the puzzle, Michael. You call it solutions. Isn't that redundant, though? Haven't we already talked about all of them? Uh, no, not at all. Um, a lot of things we talk about aren't solutions in themselves. They're tools. They're tools for management to use to get the desired results in serving the members. And uh, organizing the board and moving forward, uh, their tools. But solutions comes down to, uh, remember this one, uh, this is, I believe this so much in my heart, is that most people, or entire clubs, if you will, most people, they don't position themselves to be promoted, to be fired, or to quit. And you say, huh, what's left? Let me begin again. Most people, or entire clubs, they don't position themselves to be promoted, fired, or quit. Instead, they squelch their own creativity and drive, seemingly content to perform on what could be called adequate, yet not very exciting levels. Well, mm-hmm. solutions <laughs> elevate you to an exciting level. Uh, most companies and clubs are no different. If you do have a performance review system, at some point on these charts or forms they have, which by and large I think are meaningless, but nonetheless, it'll eventually come down where you rate your employees and it'll say employee is loyal, employee is trustworthy, employee does this or does that. And it sounds like you're talking about Rin Tin Tin or a family pet rather than a real-life human being. But there'll be a box that you can check there. And the two boxes that are okay, if you will, it'll say overall performance is adequate or satisfactory. Well, how is someone ever going to lose their job if their performance is adequate or satisfactory? As a matter of fact, they'll probably stay on another year and they'll get that 2.3 cost living increase, whatever it may be. And what happens is you have people that, if you ask them, well, how long, how, how many years of experience do you have at your place? And they'll say, oh, like I have 10 years of experience. And in reality, maybe they have worked 10 years, but they probably had one, two, or three years of experience and then another seven, eight, or nine years of duplication on top of it. The solution is you've got to have a creativity style in you where you're, you're not squelching people's creativity, but you're letting it blossom and grow. You're not interested in performing adequate or satisfactory. And to prove it, Forget about work for a second. How many of us want to be an adequate friend? Right. How many of us want to have a satisfactory marriage? None of us. It's got to go to a higher level. You've got to bring something, enthusiasm to the table, which you really, really believe. And so imagine going to a board meeting, if you will, with that briefcase. And you dump out, you just open it up and dump it on the board table, and you tick off all those things that we've been talking about so far, where we have a zero-based operating budget, we have a capital reserve plan, we have procedure for club meetings that matter, we have a master plan, we have perspective, and we've got the right people there. But then you tell your board, oh, but by the way, I'm just fresh out of solutions. Huh? <laughs> well, you, you see, the solutions is taking the tools that we've talked about, 
and then putting some creativity and drive to it. And solutions, by the way, always come from people, so that goes right back to what we were just talking about, and that is having the right people on your team team bus. You should never, ever walk into a board meeting and empty your briefcase full of problems, if you will, and then expect the board to solve them, and then to have your board say, wow, we're so lucky to have you here because, wow, what an astute general manager we have. You can accurately point out all these problems to us. Isn't that great? And then you expect your board to solve them for you and pat you on the back for bringing it to their attention? Well, I'll tell you something. The board will solve them all right. You bet they will, but not necessarily in the manner that you were hoping for. Solve them, they will, but you're basically there to make decisions. All leaders are paid to make decisions. Don't kid yourself. That's what you're there for. Some will say, hey, wait a minute. To get solutions, what do you mean make decisions? Uh, you're paid to make the right decisions, aren't you? I say not necessarily so. We have all have a lot of people who seem incapable of making decisions or wringing their hands. Oh, what if I make the wrong one? And I need to get more information here and there, uh, what have you. Um, you know what? What happens if you do make an incorrect decision? One that's not the best it could be. Guess what? You make a different decision. Leaders are paid to make decisions, and decisions are based on solutions. Take the tools we've mentioned here, bring them to life with creativity and drive, positioning your whole team not to perform at what could be called adequate or satisfactory levels, but we're looking to, to create an environment that's so exciting, so thrilling that there's a vibe throughout the whole place. Not just the staff level, but your members sense it at their club. There's a vibe going on around here because you've got the right people in the right place, and you're all centered on solutions. By the way, solutions, that doesn't mean that bad things keep coming up and then say, okay, let's have a team meeting. How are we going to solve this one? Your solutions on a team that is really driven and having fun at what they're doing that answered that question, what's the funniest thing ever happened to you, and they come up with some good examples, or you just had to have been there. Solutions are found to problems before they're even allowed to happen. They're always one step ahead of the members. And the club business is a lot of talk about how you've got to exceed expectations. I disagree. Uh, I, I don't think meeting expectations in some professions might be adequate, might be satisfactory. Other professions, oh, no, we exceed their expectations. They go, oh, isn't that great? Isn't that great? Not in the club yeah. business, it's not. Because if you're thinking about it, think in this term about solutions and exceeding expectations. If your, your whole team is in a defensive mode without even knowing it, if all you're doing is responding, responding, responding to your members' expectations. And even after you respond to them, you say, well, okay, what do they want now? What do they want now? Now, what about now? How are we going to exceed this now? Your team shouldn't be meeting expectations or even exceeding them. You should be establishing expectations. You should be ahead of your members. For crying out loud, we're professionals. We're not amateurs. We're supposed right. to know what we're doing. We're supposed to establish expectations those that the membership had never even thought of yet. Never even thought of. Now, some of them are saying, well, gee, once you do that, uh, then they're going to expect that. Now we've got, nope, you're not listening. We establish them. We're always ahead of them with the solutions of having a creative team with the right people and having the tools we've discussed. You'll distinguish yourself far, far beyond your members' expectations, and your expectations of your team should be higher than your members'. I just had a similar conversation with my own team here in Tampa. I run a couple of businesses and the discussion I had was we've been reactive. We need to be proactive. And there's a big difference uh, in mindset when you, when you, we think of things that way. It's, it's much easier, Gabe, as you know, and, and your team, what you're doing or anybody else listening at the club or other businesses, it, it's much easier to be average 
than it is to be awesome. But being That's awesome right. is one heck of a lot more fun. We're talking <laughs> about having fun. I mean, it is fun to, to, to be at the top of your game. No question about it. Yeah, I've heard of, uh, I think it's Rit- the Ritz-Carlton, I want to say, but they have uh, something in their training where they used to ask their diners, you know, like, you know, the, the classic the classic thing, a waiter or waitress comes up to you and says, well, how's your meal? How's everything? And people say, oh, it's fine. And, yeah. and then a lot of people take that at face value, right? But really fine is not good. No. <laughs> and it's certainly not great. So, And we know when we're, we're dining and, and the server comes over and it says, you know, uh, well, is everything all right? They're almost asking someone to pick out something that's wrong. And, and even right. if people at the table say, oh, yeah, everything is just fine. And then the waiter gets the, the deer in the headlight glazed in her eyes and say, Really? Don't they know how screwed up the kitchen is right now? Table number two <laughs> is a disaster. You mean everything's okay here? It really is? <laughs> what right. I did years ago as a waiter um, on the dovetail of what you just said. So you walk over to the table, and this is about expectations, by the way. It's solutions by a real person. You walk over to the table, and I've worked with staffs in this. Never, ever go to the table and ask if everything's all right. Even the question you're insinuating is something just might not be. That's not the way you approach the table. Walk over to the table and look at the person that's in enjoying their meal, obviously, the most. doesn't have to be the host at all, but they're enjoying it the very most. You can see it. Let's say it's Ville Marsala, just for the heck of it. And, and you walk over the table, you see them doing that, walk over the table, and rather than saying, is everything all right? Or now they're saying, how's everything tasting? How creative is that? So mm-hmm. look at that person in the eye, establish eye contact, and say, isn't that Ville Marsala wonderful? I'm so glad you're enjoying it. It's one of our favorite dishes here. I'm so glad you're enjoying it. You're not asking them a question at all. It's like an You're attorney. Right. You don't ask questions you know the answer to. It's just wonderful dish, isn't it? Well, they're going to look at you, and of course, they're going to say, wow, it is really great. I'm so glad. I'm just really enjoying it. Don't ask the other people and say, well, what about you? Is something wrong with yours? Establish eye contact quick <laughs> with the other three at the table of four. Thanks so much. That was going to do for you, and walk away from the table. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice. I like that. I like that. All right. So uh, it looks like we've exhausted everything that needs to be in a successful GM or COO's briefcase. We've talked about the zero-based operating budget, a capital reserve plan, a procedure for club meetings that matter, a master plan, perspective, having the right people on the bus, and solutions. Michael, is that it? Are we good to go? No, absolutely not. <laughs> there, there's one thing we need to remember. All of us who uh, specialize in operating the premier clubs in the country or desire to be or even at a smaller club, I said you want your members to uh, have their club be their very place to be, and that means it is a premier club if your membership feels that way, regardless of your annual gross revenues or how many golf holes you have or what have you. And that is this. We've been talking about the briefcase of the general manager, but don't ever forget this fact. Every one of your board members has a briefcase of their own as well. And they're walking around the club, and they're going to have concerned members whether they see them at the first tee, in the dining room, at the pool, uh, hitting balls out on the range, whatever it may be. They're going to have members come up to them, and they're going to say, hey, uh, you're on the board, so tell me, what's in your briefcase, Mr. Board Member? Well... The board member, they, they, they only need to have one thing in theirs. And frankly, yeah, there's a lot of the odds and ends bouncing around in their, their briefcase. I'm using for illustration purposes here. But they only need to have one thing in their briefcase, and that is an enthusiastic, affirmative, no question about it, yes to the question that I'm going to share with you now. Is our general manager chief operating briefcase full of the right stuff? All they have to have in their briefcase is board members is the answer yes. 
And if the answer is yes, congratulations to them, the members, the general manager, the staff, for making that so that, yes, our general manager has the right things, the right stuff in their briefcase. The club is fortunate to have people like that. The industry as a whole is an asset greater than you can imagine. Uh, and uh, what you do then is you're avoiding chaos and you're gaining stability and you're moving the whole operation further. Uh, let me say, Gabe, and I'll, I'll put a ribbon around this, is that the, 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 it's true that club additions and a unique culture every club is very, very important. But we all need to keep in mind that the past is valuable as a guidepost, but it's very dangerous if it's used as a hitching post. And staying in or longing for the past doesn't necessarily help run the business of a club today or attract tomorrow's potential members. And over the past decade, the definition of remaining relevant to the lifestyle of a new generation of potential members has evolved and has changed dramatically. Now, approaches to club governance or operations that exist solely for historical reasons, and they no longer become relevant in today's world, what happens then is keeps you locked in an orbit around a world, a club world that no longer exists. So you've got to have your briefcase full of the things we've talked about. You understand that your board members, they got a briefcase as well, and all they have to have in their briefcase is our GM has the right stuff in theirs. I love it. Thank you so much for uh, telling us about this. And one last question before we wrap things up. I asked this question to all my guests. I call it the bucket list question. So if there's one club out there in the world that our listeners need to visit or experience, what would that club be for you, Michael? All right. Uh, I'll give you a general answer, then very specific. A general answer, as I said earlier, uh, to ask every club member around the country, club members now that may hear this broadcast, the answer to the question is it should be your own club. It should be your club. It should be, you should be proud of who you are and what you do and, and forget about the other clubs I'm going to mention here in a second. Just, you want to be the best that you can be. You belong to the club for one reason, because you take pride in it and you enjoy it. If you're a staff member, wow, it should be your club. So the answer is your club. It, that's the one that it should be. Now, pulling back perspective, if you will, I'd be a mess if I didn't just kind of play favorites with the, the club that uh, my wife happens to head up, and that is the town club with Cherokee Town and Country Club in Atlanta, which is uh, proverbially one of the top clubs in the country year after year after year for a number of decades. And uh, they've got an outrageously strong governance model there. The facilities are second to none. Uh, a lot of great things going on at that at club for a number of decades. I'd like to think that my wife being there now takes it over the top. And I, like, I, I enjoy telling everybody, and I tell her, by the way, I say, Kim, I want you to know something. I've taught you everything that you know. Now, I haven't taught you everything. <laughs> I have not taught you everything that I know. But everything you know, Kim, I've done. But I would say Cherokee Town Club is a, is a model for people to look at is for uh, – uh, real perspective there, but again, I come back. Uh, the place you got to be and enjoy is your own club. Perfect. So, Michael, how do folks get in touch with you or learn more? Well, the, I'd say the easiest thing to do is uh, uh, go on LinkedIn, and whether you're dialed into LinkedIn or not doesn't make a difference. You just Google. Uh, there's probably thousands, tens of thousands of Michael Crandalls around, but you just Google Michael Crandall and then initials CNG, Michael Crandall CNG, and I will pop up number one on any Google search that you have. You click on that, it'll take you to LinkedIn. 
at LinkedIn. There's over 100 articles that I've written there, some in depth, some a little bit shorter. But uh, of the 100, I'd say well over half of them are club industry specific, but all of them are leadership and management and courage driven. So the best way to do it is just Google Michael Crandall CNG and uh, you can get a hold of me there. Michael, thanks so much for being on Private Club Radio. You are just a wonderful guest and a pleasure to speak with. Thank you, Gabe. That interview was packed with so much great advice. I hope you enjoyed it. And I want to say thank you to Pro Business Channel in Atlanta, Georgia. Michael was in Atlanta at their studio, and the audio was so good it sounded like he was right here in Tampa with us. Don't forget to join us next week on Private Club Radio. We'll be speaking to Mr. Norm Spitzig. He's the principal and senior partner at Master Club Advisors, and he has a ton of advice to share with us on the show. On April 25th, we'll be joined by Peter Nanula, chairman of the Concert Golf Partners. On May 2nd, we'll be talking music and live events with Nick Weir, founder and CEO of Little Owl Entertainment. And on May 9th, Miles Tucker, general manager and COO at the very exclusive Hillcrest Country Club. It's going to be a great rest of April and a great month of May here on Private Club Radio. Hope you can join us. If you're a first-time listener to this show, you can hear it each and every Monday on the podcast app on your iPhone, on the Stitcher radio app on your Android, and just about every other podcast app out there. Check out privateclubradio.com and you'll see the links out to all the different platforms. Hope to see you next week. Until then, here's to your membership success. Just because this round is over doesn't mean you can't enjoy the 19th hole. Check out privateclubradio.com for more. Private Club Radio is brought to you by Shake Creative, the premier marketing and design firm helping prestigious clubs increase and retain their membership. Visit shaketampa.com to learn more.